0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 10 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC10. This is Secret Church 10, Episode 6. Now the doctrine of adoption. Okay, now all this is happening at the same time, okay? Justified, adopted as children of God, so... So when you see your need, God awakens your heart, you repent and believe, and you're justified before God, and you're made a child of God. Swear, oh, this gets good. All right, whole other level. We're not just right before God, the judge. Justification, doctrine of adoption, we are loved by God, the Father. (laughs) In justification, we we stand condemned, in our sin before a holy judge, and he says, by the blood of Christ, not guilty. And that's great. That is indescribably great. But it's not all the gospel. Because the language there is legal. Standing before a judge who makes a pronouncement. But in adoption, the judge just doesn't look at you and says, say, not guilty. But he gets up off the bench. He comes down to you, takes your change off, and he says, come to my home and be my son. Daughter. Oh. And I'm, you'll see son mentioned in here more than daughter. And the reason is not chauvinistic. The reason is when you look in scripture, you'll see places where sons is emphasized because in first century culture, the inheritance, full inheritance from the family would go to the sons. And so ladies, you want to be referenced as a son in these texts because you want full inheritance. So just, just kind of keep that in mind. I love what this quote from J.I. Packer. uh, I don't know if we got it. We don't have time to read it. It's a great quote. J.I. Packer, knowing God, one of the best books in the world. Um, so anyway, God, God could have justified us and just left it at that without giving us the privileges of being in his family. But, but he, he brings us into his family. He adopts us. And, uh, this is a, this is a tender issue for me. Um, our, our first son, we adopted from Kazakhstan. We're in the process of adoption right now of a uh, special needs child from China, hopefully later this year. Been a huge issue in our, in our church here. And adoption is not always easy for, for people to understand. This is certainly something I've learned along the way. I remember when first, Caleb first came home to be with us, and many people knew our story, or they'd see Caleb and they would notice that he looks a little different than Heather and me. And they'd say, oh, that's nice that you adopted. Now, do you also have children of your own? <laughs> I'll tell you phrase number one not to say <laughs> to an adoptive parent. Do you, do you have children of your own? So. Sure lean in and say, can I, can I tell you a secret? He's ours. And say, well, you know what I mean. Well, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, that he doesn't count as ours. Like, no, he's ours. And I remember when we were about to go to, uh, to Kazakhstan, we were telling uh, somebody we knew that we were going to go adopt a child from Kazakhstan. They said, a real one? A real one? No, no. we're going to get a plastic one and put it on the mantle just to look at. Like, then they'll ask, people will ask, uh, well, have you ever met his real mother? Well, yes. In fact, I have. Her name is Heather. (laughs) So you know what I mean? Well, no, what do you mean? Like, is she fake mother? No, she's real. She's real. I'm I'm getting riled up. I need to stop. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, one more, like (laughs) this, I'm doing this to serve you. And uh, yeah, so, people ask, well, are you going gonna to tell him about his family or his cultural heritage? Well, yes, and, and in fact, we are. In fact, he, he knows a lot about his family heritage. He knows about his, his granddad that he, uh, unfortunately, is not able to meet in this life because my dad passed away uh, a few years ago, but he knows all about his grand, other granddad and two grandmoms and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. He knows, he knows about all of Everybody in the family. I said, what about his cultural heritage? Well, yeah, he's got good cultural heritage. He knows all about food in his culture, like fried chicken, mac and cheese. <laughs> he, he reads books in his culture. Like, uh, you know, he uh, runs around the house saying, run, run fast as you can. You can't catch me on the... Oh, you have a similar culture here. Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> like, I don't know if he knows any Kazakh songs, but he can, he can sing Lecrae. Like, uh... He doesn't know the Kazakh National Anthem, but by golly, he knows Sweet Home Alabama. So, <laughs> he is a part of our family, like all plat, not part Platt, like all plat. So, here's the deal. I share that to you, not just to go off, but I share that with you just to say that I think we have a hard time understanding adoption in some ways because we've not thought deeply about what it means that all of us as followers of Christ have been adopted into a real family that is, we're, we're all in. And just because it's not biological, oh, this is, this is, yeah, anyway, so let's define this. Doctrine of adoption. Adoption is the gracious act of God in which he confers upon sinners the position of sons and the privileges of sonship. All right, two, two facets here. Position of sons, privileges of sonship. God sent his son that we might receive the position of sons. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons. Here's the deal: adoption requires someone who comes at the right time, when the time had fully come. And it's the same same picture in adoption on earth, but in a greater way. Jesus came at the right time, theologically. We saw how everything in the Old Testament I'm pointing to this right time, religiously. Right time, culturally, right time, politically. We can dive into each of those. Just don't have time to. But he came at the right time. Adoption requires someone who comes with the right qualifications. Right qualification. In order to, in order to adopt someone, uh, domestically or internationally, uh, in our day, you you have to you have to go through all kinds of red tape. This or that. You have to get fingerprinted by every civic organization there is. The Rotary Club has to sign off that you are okay to. You have to go through intensive home study, dive in all the goods and not so goods of marriage and family, this or that, everything, everything. You got to have a perfect physical. Remember, we were going to get our physical, and uh, it was just like, it's pressure, added pressure, because we, we want to adopt, and we were standing in this hall. came time for the eye test, and uh, I maintain it was a dark hall, um, <laughs> but I'm standing there, and I see the uh, the, you know, the, I chart at the end, and she says, "All right, cover one eye and and start to read it." And I mean, I got like the top letter, and then a couple of, and then I started struggling, and I started sweating like I can't pass. I I I gotta pass the test, and and so she could tell I was getting kind of frazzled, and she said, "Well, why don't don't you try again a second? Why don't you why don't you try the other eye?" Well, the problem was I'd been so nervous I was mashing this eye in. And so I take my hand off it and everything's blurry. Like I can't even see my hand. And I'm like, I can't see it. And she's like, sir, why don't you just step aside, <laughs> let your wife go, and then we'll, we'll, we'll try you again. And so I'm over here like doing this deal, trying to get my eyes back. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I get my eyes back while Heather's still taking the test. And so I look down with both eyes and I, I memorize the chart. <laughs> step back up. And I'm like, E-F-P-L. Look, I can do it with both eyes closed. (laughs) E-F-P-L. Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. (laughs) Got to have the right qualifications. Same picture spiritually. We've talked about this. Jesus, fully divine, fully human, fully righteous, from God, born of woman, born under the law. That's what Galatians 4 is talking about. Adoption requires someone who comes at the right time, right qualifications, who has the right resolve. You don't adopt accidentally. You adopt purposely. One of the most, pur- one of the most poignant moments for us in that adoption process, when we're standing in a courtroom with this judge before us, and, uh, and what happens is different people are from orphanage and other places are, are testifying. They have to establish that no one in Kazakhstan wants to adopt him. And so it's testimony after testimony saying, yes, no one wants, no one wants, no one wants to adopt him. And the whole time, Heather and I just want to stand up and scream, "Like that's why we're here. We want him. And this is the beauty, in a much greater way, the Son of God has stood up and said, I desire you. The Father has said, I want you to be my child in love he predestined us for adoption as sons according to the praise of his glorious grace he determined to redeem us he died to rescue us god sent his son so that we might receive the position of sons and god sent his spirit so we might experience the privileges of sonship Galatians 4, 6, and 7 then says, because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You've received the spirit of adoption of the sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Here's the beauty. So, so we're there in Kazakhstan. The judge finally says, okay, he is yours. So pronouncement is made. And Heather and I look at each other. Come, parents of this precious little boy. But the story obviously doesn't end there. The story of adoption begins there. Not just when Caleb received a position as a son with a mom and a dad. This was the beginning of a relationship that thrives this morning in our home when we Wrestling around with each other. That day when he is declared our son began. That's when the floodgates opened and love now poured out on him in a way he never experienced before. We never shown before. Like this is the, the beauty of adoption. Not just when we're declared to be a son, daughter of God, but when we live as sons and daughters of God in relationship, privileges of sonship. where it gets really good. Where we have God. God is our father. He's our father. We pray, Father in heaven. You know what's interesting? That title for God, Father, is only used 15 times in the entire Old Testament. You get to and none of those references are praying to God as Father. You get to the New Testament and 165 times alone in the Gospels Jesus refers to God as Father. And it's when he's talking to his disciples. He's showing that there's a relationship between those who follow Christ and God as Father. So that when we pray, we don't we don't pray dreadful creator and ground of all being, we come to God and we say, Father, Dad. Think about the contrast with earthly fathers. Luke 11 says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You ever prayed for something and things didn't work out quite like you had hoped? You asked God for something and didn't receive what you had asked for? I think I think Jesus understands that we might struggle with this, and so He says, "You can trust the Father when you ask for a fish; He's not going to give you a snake." And you, and you know this for your own from fathers who care for their children. You've seen that. Well, they're evil. We're evil. He is good. Even the best father on this earth still has a sinful nature and they're not right 100% of the time, but your heavenly father is always right. We have limited wisdom. He has infinite wisdom. He's wise. Our father knows what is best. We have imperfect love. He has perfect love. I I think about my dad. I mentioned that he had passed away a few years ago unexpectedly from a heart attack. I remember receiving a call from my younger brother telling me that dad had been rushed to the hospital. And I just fell on my f- knees and face. We got off the phone, and fell on my knees and just started crying out to God, save, save, save. And get the call 45 minutes later that dad had passed away. In those moments, good reminder, my Father in Heaven doesn't give snakes. He's He's giving what is good. He always gives what is good. Doesn't make sense to us all the time. I got a quote here from George Mueller, praying machine. He wrote down, recorded fifty thousand specific answers to prayers as he cared for children in orphanage, and yet he experienced some real pain in his own life. Buried two stillborn children saw his one-year-old son die, his adult daughter die. And this is what he said when he preached his, his wife's funeral. He said, were we happy? Verily, we were, with every year our happiness increased more and more. I never saw my beloved wife at any time when I met her unexpectedly anywhere in Bristol without being delighted so to do. I never met her even in the orphan houses without my heart being delighted so to do. Day by day as we met in our dressing room at the orphan houses to wash our hands before dinner and tea, I was delighted to meet her and she was equally pleased to see me. Thousands of times I told her, my darling, I never saw you at any time since you became my wife without my being delighted to see you. When I heard what Mr. Pritchard's judgment was talking about doctor diagnosing sickness, that the malady was rheumatic fever, I naturally expected the worst. My heart was nigh to be broken on account of the depth of my affection. The last portion of scripture which I read to my precious wife was this. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, if we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received grace. We are partakers of grace and to all such, he will, all, he will give glory also. I said to myself with regard to the latter part, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I'm in myself a poor, worthless sinner, but I've been saved by the blood of Christ and I do not live in sin. I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be rise raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. And all this springs, as I have often said before, from taking God at his word, believing what he says. Brothers and sisters, we have a good father. See, his care... See what kind of love the Father has given us. He loves us. We were once killed, captive by His law. Now we're captivated by His love. He loves us. He understands us. Your Father understands you. Your Father understands what you're going through. He provides for us. We have no reason to worry in Matthew 6. No reason to worry. He forgives us. Do we still sin against Him? Oh, dreadfully, the answer is yes. But He forgives We have a Father who forgives. And He disciplines us. And this is good, right? It's good for me to tell my children not to run out of the road. And when they do run out of the road, to discipline them. So they learn what is good for them. It's good for a Father to discipline us, our Heavenly Father. Hebrews 12, 5-11. Great text. He leads us. He is our Father, and we are His children. We have a new name. We are His children. We have a new spirit. We have access to the Father's presence. Ah, we are no longer afraid of God the way in Exodus 19 they had to run from the mountain and stay away from the mountain. No, we come to God. We cry out, Abba, Father. No longer afraid of God. We are now friends of God. We obey not out of fear, we obey out of friendship. Oh, feel this. Listen to John Wesley. Now follow this. Before we read this quote, Wesley, honor graduate at Oxford, ordained clergyman, good theology, active in good works, regularly visiting inmates of prisons, workhouses in London, distributing food and clothing to slum children, orphans, studied the Bible diligently, attended numerous Sunday services. He generously gave offerings to the church and alms to the poor, prayed and fasted, lived an exemplary moral life. He even spent several years as a missionary. Yet upon returning to England, after all that, he confessed in his journal, I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. He was unsaved. After all that, And later reflecting on his pre-conversion condition, he said, I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. I had even then the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God. So this changes the way we obey. Not out of obligation, but out of love. Relationship. To know intimacy with your Father. We have access to the Father's presence. We have an inheritance in the Father's kingdom. Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we will also be glorified with Him. Oh, why do you need to run after the pleasures and pursuits and possessions of this world when you have a kingdom waiting for you from a Father in heaven? So what do we do? We worship Him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. We glorify Him. We want glory for our Father in heaven. We imitate Him as beloved children, be imitators of God. We we obey Him as children of God. We reflect Him. We reflect Him. We reflect the Father to the fatherless. That's why we care for the orphan and the widow, right? Because of how we have been cared for as children. You know, adoption, this whole picture, it's in a sense a bit trendy in our day, not just in, in church, but outside Hollywood, different different things, different trends toward adoption. And it's almost seen as an altruistic, nice thing to do. The reason we adopt, care for, foster care children, the reason we adopt children, is it's not out of mere altruism. It's not because we have a, a desire for a nice cute Christmas card to send out to our families. Because the reality is. You dive into adoption. and We've seen this in our, in our church. You dive into adoption and foster care, and there's going to be some rocky roads along the way. And there's a lot of children. I don't want to paint a bleak picture here, but I do want to paint a realistic picture. There are a variety of children who, who need to be adopted. A variety of children who are in foster care because they have been through very, very difficult conditions. And because they have parents who have been Addicted to drugs when they're conceived or as they mom was pregnant. And as a result, there are deficiencies and struggles. And, and as a result, there are many families within our church who have wrestled with adoption, having children, even sometimes that are a physical threat to other children in their home, who resist love at every turn. What, what do you do when you're having to Call the police or do this or that. Deal with struggles in your own home that you hadn't envisioned. Mere altruism is not going to help you then. And the desire for a cute Christmas card picture is out the window. What drives you then is the reality that you were once a child of wrath, rebelling against a father. And everything in you is running from him and he reached down his hand of grace into your heart and your life and he drew you to himself and he didn't give up on you. He loved you. He adopted you as his sons. That's, that's the gospel, empowering care for children we reflect him we care for orphans not because we are rescuers we're not a group of good altruistic people out to be saviors for orphans of the world it's not what drives orphan ministry we are not rescuers brothers and sisters we care for orphans because we are the rescued because we're the rescued because we've been adopted we reflect the father in heaven to the fatherless on earth and this is a picture of the gospel we have an eternal father have an eternal father. Some of you have never had a father. Some of you have had good fathers. But, but see this. You have an eternal father who is good. We have an eternal family. Jesus, our brother, not in the sense, in the sense that he became like us, not in the sense that we are divine by any means. We are brothers and sisters, which obviously changes the way we relate to one another. We have an eternal father, we have an eternal family, and we have an eternal home have an eternal home. I'll, I'll tell you this one last story from Kazakhstan really, really quick. Um, when we were leaving, well, when we got to the city where Caleb lived, the, we were picked up by our translator. And as soon as we were picked up, we get in the car with our translator. Translator, she asks, this is former Soviet Union. Uh, what, what do you do? I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And she said, well, God is not real. And anyone who believes in God is just weak. I said, well, it's nice to meet you. What was your name again? Like, so this was how our, our relationship began with our translator. And that began a process for the next four uh, weeks that we were in the city, day in and day out, conversations about the gospel, conversations over and over again, just question after question, conversation after conversation. And at the end of our time there, the night we were leaving, we were at the airport about to leave, and she pulls me aside. She said, I need to tell you something. I said, what? And she said, I just want you to know that last night, I believed in jesus for my salvation and now i know that, that he is real he loves me he cares for me and he saved me and so so we walk out to the plane holding our adopted son in his hand and turn around and wave goodbye to his adopted child in his hands this is this is eternal adoption huh <laughs> i told you it gets better See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. One more facet of God reversing our status. We're going to, I think, fly through this one. God reversed our status. Yeah, we are. Doctrine of union with Christ, okay? Now, some would say doctrine of union with Christ sums up the whole doctrine of salvation. It probably does in some ways, but here's the overview. Okay, John 15, Galatians 2.20 Crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. What does that mean? Christ lives in me. Our union with Christ is supernatural. It's not just Christ involved here, but Father, Spirit, Son we're in the Father. Verses we're in the Holy Spirit. Verse the Father is in us the Holy Spirit is in us we have, see, we're flying we have fellowship with the Father we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit that's supernatural union our union with Christ. Second, it's spiritual. Spiritual. God, by His Spirit, unites our spirit with His. Oh, you look at Luke 11, where we recorded a second ago. If you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? Then He says, in Matthew it says, give good gifts to those who ask Him. In Luke it says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. I used to read Luke 11 and think, well, what if I wasn't asking for the Holy Spirit? And what if I was asking for this? What good is it to receive the Holy Spirit? And this is the beauty. This is the beauty of what's happening here. When When you think about it, that God has chosen to give us Himself. You ask for wisdom in a certain situation, He doesn't just tell you the answer. He gives you a spirit of wisdom. You you ask for help, He gives you the helper. You ask for truth, He gives you the truth teacher. You ask for guidance, He gives you the guide. We ask for gifts, He gives us the giver. We ask for supply, He gives us the source. It's like asking for money, and God doesn't say, here's, here's some money. He gives us the bank. Everything flows from... The Spirit of God. We must examine this question. John Calvin said, how do we receive these benefits which the Father bestowed on His only begotten Son not for Christ's own private use but that He might enrich poor and needy men like us? First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we're separated from Him, all that He has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. All that He possesses is nothing unto us until we grow into one body with Him and the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to Himself. Oh, yes. Our union with Christ is unusual, mysterious. Kind of, we talked about it in a sense, mystical to our finite minds. Our union with Christ is vital. This is life here. Our union with Christ brings us life. Our union with Christ is personal. You, personally, where you're sitting, Christian, found in Christ, sharing in the life of Christ. But our union with Christ is also communal. Oftentimes, Scripture talks about how we are united as one body in Christ. Our union with Christ is eternal from eternity past to eternity future. So here's the doctrine of union with Christ, the definition here. Union with Christ means that as believers saved by God's grace, Christ is in us. We are in Christ, we are with Christ, and Christ is with us. So those four phrases, Christ in us, we are in Christ, we're with Christ, Christ is with us. Christ is in us. To them God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the empowered life. Oh, you think about this. Remember who Christ is? He's the image of God. Colossians 1.15. He's the author of creation. Colossians 1.16 and 17. He sustains all things by His hand. He's the head of the church. He's the Savior of the world. Suffice to say at this point, before we go any further, if this Christ is anywhere near you, your life is radically different. And the mammoth reality of salvation is that this Christ lives in you. The image of the invisible God, author of creation, head of the church, Savior of the world, dwells in you Christian. Empowered life. Christ in you. The transformed life. All throughout the Old Testament. God's making promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will be with you. Moses. I will be with you. Joshua. I will be with you. Isaiah. I will be with you. Jesus comes on the scene. His name is God with us. God with us. And then Jesus says I'm gonna be with you a little longer. Then I'm gonna go to him who sent me. He's going. Where is he going? But he promises I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm gonna come to you. The helper will come to you. I'm going to send him to you. And Jesus sends his spirit so that we can say, Christ lives in me. This transforms how we view the Christian life. Most of us believe that Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins, but we stop there. We we believe, okay, well, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. We have no clue how to live the Christian life between here and there. And many of us live defeated Christian lives as a result. The reason may be because we've not grasped the mammoth reality that Jesus died for you so that he might live in you. Jesus is not just our Savior. Ladies and gentlemen, he's our life. Read Hudson Taylor, Ian Thomas, great quotes. Don't miss this. Christianity is nothing less than the outliving of the indwelling Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a secure life. Hope of glory. Of glory because Christ is in you. No reason to fear. Christ in you now means Christ in you forever. Forever. Secured life. In the triumphant church, Christ is in you and Christ is in us. You look at Ephesians 1. Ah, we don't have time. Okay. Ephesians 1. Here's the deal. What Ephesians 1 teaches, New Testament teaches, Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority belongs to Christ has authority over all things. You look at the very end. It says, God put all things under the feet of Christ and gave him his head over all things, listen to this, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he gives Christ, authority over all things, gives Christ to the church. So Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. Now follow this. The church possesses the fullness of Christ. Christ has been given to the church. We're the fullness of him. At the fullness of Christ, Colossians 2, 9, and 10 says the same thing. You put those together. Christ has all authority. Church possesses the fullness of Christ. All the authority in heaven and earth belongs to the what? Church. Are you catching this? Christ shares his authority with us. You believe this? I'm not making this stuff up. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. Let no one boast in men. All things are yours. All are yours. You're Christ. Christ is God's. Oh, contrary to beliefs in Various cultures in the world, including our own, I remind you, brothers and sisters, the church is not weak. The church is not frail, fragile, stagnant, or struggling. The church has the fullness of Jesus Christ. We're not victims of sin. We're victors over sin, not powerless in any pagan culture. We have power over pagan culture. We demolish spiritual strongholds, and we do not shrink back from anything in our mission. Okay, we'll get to that later. Second, we are in Christ. Christ in us, we are in Christ. We live in Christ. This is just a list of things in Scripture. It talks about us being in Christ. We live in Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We find encouragement in Christ. We find strength in Christ. We find confidence in Christ. We have freedom in Christ, a freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. We have peace in Christ. We have wisdom in Christ. We have victory in Christ. We have hope in Christ We obey our parents in Christ. Wives submit to husbands in Christ. We agree in Christ. We stand in Christ. We work in Christ. You stand up, we are blessed in Christ. We're blessed in Christ. That's the last one. We're blessed in Christ. All of these things we have in Christ. Christ in us. Us in Christ. And we are with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. We've died to sin with Him. Buried with Christ, Romans 6 says. We've been resurrected with Christ. Resurrected with Him. Ephesians 2, 4-7. God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see your position in Christ, Christian? We now fellowship with Christ. We work with Christ. We suffer with Christ. This is what our brothers and sisters are doing in India and other contexts around the world. Suffering. Sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We will reign with Christ. Brothers and sisters who are suffering hold fast you reign with christ we are with christ and christ is with us he is with us in the church he's with us in the church he is with us in the world he is with us forever this is a promise we cling to look at first thessalonians chapter 4 about a third of the way through we declare to you by a word from the lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Underline it. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It is good to be justified before God. It is good to be adopted by God. And it is good to be united with Christ. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.